Welcome to the Word of Life podcast, a ministry of Word of Life Church, located in Lesueur, Minnesota. From sermon audio to midweek content and much more, we hope you are blessed by what you hear. For more information or to donate, please visit wordoflifemn.com. Now, enjoy this week's episode. If you're, if, you're just, if you're just joining us, we are in week two of this, uh, this kind of mini-series that we are in called Faithful. Uh, and we're, we're, we get the opportunity to take a, a careful eye and, and hear some of the stories, these incredible stories of God working through different women in the Bible. Maybe some, uh, some names that you're not familiar with. Uh, last week, if you didn't get a chance to hear Pastor Jay's message when he, when he told the story of Deborah and Jael, I, I, I hope that you go onto the website of the podcast, you go hear that, that, that message. This week, we are going to look at another, I guess, another name that I, <clears throat> I anticipate is uh, maybe new to some. Um, it, it's not a name that we talk about a lot in the church, but her story and more importantly, God's story through her uh, has had global impact uh, and, and impact throughout our history. Today, we're going to be looking at the story of a woman named Hagar. And we're going to be looking, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 16. Um, that's kind of the beginning of the story for Hagar. And then later on, we're going to jump to chapter 21 to kind of the, not the end of the story, but the, the furthering of the story for Hagar. This is an interesting time in history. We're going to, uh, there's, some, there's some characters that you're going to hear of, you're going to meet, uh, named Abram and Sarai. And maybe for some of us in the room, you're like, oh, hey, Pastor Nick, actually, I thought it was Abraham and Sarah. It is, same people, their names get changed, it's a really cool thing. But today, it's Abram and Sarai. And what you need to know going into chapter 16 is this, is that Abraham who was considered a faithful man of God, was promised by God in a, in a covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, that Abram would be the father of many nations, that the, the number of, of his lineage and these generations would be like grains of sand on the beach or like stars in the sky. And what you also need to know about Abram and Sarai is that they were not young people when they heard this promise from God. And so as we, as we study and as we read and we kind of camp out here in Genesis, I want you to kind of remember this in your mind that this is, this, our, my message today is not about you being faithful. It's about how faithful God is despite of everything that we do. So let's start in Genesis chapter 16, uh, starting verse 1, read in Jesus' name. It'll be up on the screens if you don't have your Bibles with you, if you'd like to follow along. Um, I don't know how often we mention this. If you follow along on an iPad or phone, if you're at home on the online campus, we have a version if you want to follow it word for word with me. But chapter 16, verse 1, read in Jesus' name. <clears throat> now Sarai 
Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So, after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. You see, going against God's plan, when we go against God's plan, we think that it's going into our plan. Like, yeah, God said this, but you know what? I actually have this figured out. It's going to work out a lot better for me. And Sarah's figuring out that that's not the case. Not only is she going against God's plan, it's not working out. She is holding a lot of jealousy and contempt in her heart because now, oh, Hagar could conceive. Hagar got a baby, but where's my, like, where's, where's the son that God promised me? It's not working out for her so well. Verse 5, and Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Right? She's angry. She's lashing out at Abram here. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. So she did. Sarai dealt harshly with her, and Hagar fled from Sarai. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And the angel said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. <clears throat> you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone. That's quite the description. His hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Her response So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. I want you to stand in Hagar's shoes for a moment here of, of this choice of fleeing what, what she was actually choosing, that, 
that the, the dangers of the wilderness, the dangers of the desert, of, of running out of supplies, of running out of food and water, that, that that was like way more appealing than dealing with the anger and wrath of Sarai. And as Hagar, as Hagar found respite in a spring of water, the Lord found her and spoke to her. An afflicted and distressed runaway servant sat in the wilderness conversing with God. And after their exchange, Hagar overflowed with praise to the God who had now seen her. And in her exaltation, when she's going to describe who God is, she had a, she had a list of options, right? He, she, could be, she could have described him as the God who is faithful, as the God who is just, as the God who is, who is merciful and compassionate. But Hagar chose a different word. You are the God who sees For a lot of us, especially if you have been, <laughs> if you've been in the faith for any amount of time, if you've lived really any amount of life, that you know that through the ups and downs of life, that God is the one who sees you. He has seen you and does not turn his face away from you. He sees you. He, rather, he turns his face toward you through Christ. And the Lord that Hagar named is the Lord who also names you, who places his name upon you. There's a, uh, there's a Lutheran scholar, Norman Nagel, and he, he said this line that I just I had to share with you this morning. When the Lord puts his name on something, he marks it as his own. Where his name is located, he is committed by that name to see its good. The Lord is the one who names you. The Lord is the one who sees you and has made you his own. He is the God who forgives, who blesses, who sanctifies he is the God who sees sinners and does not turn away. The Lord is the God who sees and provides, who, who feeds his children at his table so that he might wash away their sins. God is not the one who sends out, but he is the one who draws in through a word of grace over and over and over again. So through this interaction, between, this conversation between God and Hagar, Hagar makes a choice that would, that would alter the rest of her life. She decides that she's going to go back to the camp of Abram and Sarai, and so she does. She gives birth to a son. She raises the little Ishmael there. And as Sarai is still trying to follow out her plan, not God's plan, but her plan, God's promise is still faithful. And God delivers a son to Sarai, and his name was Isaac. 
And as we can all imagine, she gives birth to Isaac and then all of the jealousy and everything just melts away and everyone gets along forever and ever. But that's not what happens, right? She gives birth to Isaac and only that, that jealousy just grows and that wrath towards Hagar just grows. And now Isaac's not like the true firstborn Ishmael is and Sarah is just holding the heart. And we get to this we get to this scene, you know, so Ishmael's a few years older, not a lot, but he's a few years older than Isaac. We get to this scene in the book of Genesis where Ishmael being, you know, probably just being a twerpy little kid, he makes fun of the baby Isaac. Not good. What do they say? Uh, the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, this was the one that was it for Sarai. So now we fast forward to Genesis 21, and Sarah now Sarai, now Sarah, Abram, now Abraham. Uh, Sarah's had enough. And she goes to Abraham and says, you got to do something about this. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis 21, starting in verse 14. And what I, I want to point out to you as we read this is this. As I said earlier, this message is not about how faithful you are or how faithful I am. This message is about how faithful God is no matter what. Genesis 21, starting in verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, right, like you can put two and two together here. She's wandering in the desert. We're in the Middle East. It's hot, it's dry, and the water is gone. And when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, I want this line to just sink in for you for a moment here. For she said, let me not look on the death of this child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. I hope you're catching the emotion of this situation. This is desperate times. See, at Sarah's urging, Abraham casts out Hagar, and his son, Ishmael, into the wilderness with nothing but some bread and water. Uh, when, when Luther wrote about this, Luther says this, the destitute mother and her destitute son are cast out from the true father's estate, and all of his possessions, they carry away nothing, except a little bread, a little water, which no doubt would last for only a few days. So Hagar and Ishmael, they are cast out of the comfort and, and provision of being in, Abram's camp, in Abraham's camp and sent and cast out into the desert and the wilderness. This scene, you know, um, 
we could talk about this for a long time, but uh, the way that the Old Testament is written is that um, when they would tell stories, when, when the Jewish people would tell stories, they would tell stories in kind of a circular method. Um, and, and this is what you need to catch on this, is when they would tell stories, they're always kind of pointing back to something in history. So one of the images that we see that we're, that's supposed to come to our mind as we see Hagar and Ishmael cast out of a place of promise into a place of wilderness is 17 chapters earlier in the book of Genesis, we see Adam and Eve cast out of a place of promise and into the wilderness because of sin. We, and you can, you can imagine, you can, you can stand in Adam and Eve's shoes, you can stand in, in Hagar and Ishmael's shoes in this method of looking back and seeing provision and comfort and, and, and all of the things that were promised to you and looking ahead and seeing hardship and dry dirt and, 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 and the wilderness and not knowing what's coming to you, but other than maybe just knowing that it's probably death. It's a heavy situation. And like it was for Adam and Eve, we see this with Hagar and Ishmael, and they, they're, they're headed off. Hagar carrying some bread and water on one shoulder and her little boy on the other. Her feet stepping on arid, sun-parched land. Dust kicking up. She walked. Every step reinforcing the fact that what she had known was no longer. There would be no re-entry into Abraham's house. Much like for Adam and Eve, there was no re-entry into the Garden of Eden. Those, that, the doors were proverbially locked. But the word of the command, not only from Sarah and Abraham, but from God, by the word of the command, Hagar and Ishmael were cast out and seemingly left for dead. And as the bread and water run out, Hagar and Ishmael are brought low. Low enough to be staring death in the face. I want to read 15 and 16 for you one more time. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. They've lost everything. They, they, they're, they're empty-handed. They're barely alive. And the fact that Ishmael is technically Abraham's firstborn son at this moment means nothing. He has no rights to anything. Everything for Ishmael hinged on him being Abraham's son by birth. But now he and his mother are disowned. His birthright means nothing. And in this just emotionally caught up scene, Hagar can barely look at her son. She knows what's right around the corner. She cannot bear the sight of him dying. Nor can she clearly see through her weeping. Maybe you've experienced something like that too. 
Hagar is helpless to change the situation because she is in such a state of mental and physical and spiritual turmoil that, like, she can't even think straight. The command has stripped both Ishmael and Hagar of all they once had. Even, even their very lives, I mean, they are at the end of the rope. And it is not, it's not, it's not trite to say that it is the same with us. You see, the law casts us out. The law, it dismantles our rights, our, our claims because of birth. Our, it, the law demands everything and gives nothing. No matter who we are, what our last name is, what we are capable of doing, how smart you are, how good you think you are, it is nothing in the light of the law. The law, when we take it seriously, reduces us to despair, to embrace death as our only option. When we, when we stand before the law, we, we cannot stand on our own two feet and demonstrate our inherent worth. But like, God, look, look at all of the things that I've done. I've been a pretty good person. That is all blown away in the presence of the law of God. Because we cannot stand up under the burden of the command. Instead, we... What we so often do is we try to walk on our own strength as far as it'll take us until, until the water in the skin runs out. We lay down in whatever shade we can find and prepare to die. That's our, that is our fate prescribed by the law of God. Right? What does the book of Romans say? For the wages of sin is... But, but there is good news. Not only for us, there was good news for Hagar and for Ishmael as well. You see, the good news is this, that even for those who have been cast out, God is still the one who sees you. Our God is the word of promise. Cast it out to us, the cast outs that we may become heirs of God's promise. Look at verse 17 here. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? I swear, you look throughout the Bible, the angels have kind of a weird sense of humor. Like she is in the pit of despair, like, hey, something wrong? What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes. I don't know what that means physically, if that was like a physical thing, if he wipes away her tears, if he gives her some, some clarity. But God opens her eyes and she looks up and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy 
to drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. You see, it turns out that it is not possible to be so cast out that God can't hear you. And I... The insidious thing about about sin and despair and darkness is that when you are in the pit of despair, it has a way of making you feel like you're the only one in the pit of despair. Do you know that feeling? Like when when you're really facing it or you've really screwed up, the worst thing the devil does is make you feel very alone about it. But you're not alone. That even when you, are, when you feel cast out, that God is still the God who sees you. Just like for Hagar and Ishmael, when you feel like you are dying in the desert, God sees you. God hears you. And when God hears you, he hears the groaning of those who now have nothing. But God is not only the God who sees you and hears you, but he is the God who speaks. And when he speaks, it is bigger and better than the command of the law that casts you out. You see, God speaks with the words of promise. His word creates out of nothing. The word of God brings life and refreshment and relief. When the command, excuse me, where the command casts out, the promise of God gathers in. And God says to Hagar, come lift up the boy. Hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Ishmael will be made into a great nation, not because of his birthright. Right through this exchange with God, Ishmael does not become become the father of a great nation because of anything that Abram did. It's all because of what God has done for him. Just like his younger brother Isaac, Ishmael is dependent on the promise of God and his faithfulness that he fulfills his promises. And just like Ishmael, we are cast outs who are dependent on the promises and the word of God. The promises for those who who have been or are currently being, or, or will be brought low. For those who have felt or will feel disinherited or cast out. Maybe this has been said about you in your life, or maybe this has been said about a loved one, conversations that you've had as you try to figure out, like, why are they making that decision? Why are they doing this to their life? And inevitably, as you, as you pray and you're hoping for someone to finally, like, stop and hear what God has for them, don't we, don't we say this phrase, they just need to hit rock bottom. Maybe you've hit rock bottom. It's at, at that point, it's in that, that pit of despair that when, when proud hearts are broken, 
that humble hearts are exchanged, that we hear what God has to say to us. Throughout the Old Testament, he, he talks about this. In, in, the, in the book of Micah, oh, where'd it go? In the book of Micah, he says, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In Psalm 51, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Isaiah says, a bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. God hears you. And especially when you feel like you are in the pit of despair, when you are in the desert, when you are on the verge of death, know that God is near you. Having been crushed by the law, our ears are opened to hear the promise of God. So we cry out with empty hands and tears faces that the word of the promise of God prevails because the word of the promise is none other than Jesus Christ who was cast out and forsaken so that we may be gathered in. Jesus Christ never abandons you even when you feel forsaken. In Romans it says that Jesus died for our sins and was raised for our justification. And in Ephesians it says this, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. So, brothers and sisters, this is what I want you this is why I want you to hear that the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ is a resounding no. It is a final word to our being cast outs. But instead that we are by faith the sons and daughters of God, adopted by him through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, and Paul calls back to our, our text this morning. For, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to to promise. Our God is a God of promise. Amen. Our God is the God of the cast out. 
Our God is the God who sees you. Our God is the word of promise whispered from the beginning of the ages that gathers to himself those who have been cast out. And by his word alone, raises them up into new life, into new, full, and abundant life in him by faith, apart from anything that we have to offer. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you will always look upon us in favor because of your love and sacrifice for us. You do not look upon us with your favor because of what we bring to the table, but because of your grace and your mercy and your love. Would you grant us the eyes of faith to see you for the good and gracious God that you are and have been and will always pray this in Jesus' holy, gracious name. Amen.